Hi, this is Teddy, and today you're listening to Tatenda Musipatiki, founder and CEO of the Voter Formation Project on Two Broads Talking Politics. Go get your vaccine! Hi, everyone. I am Kelly, and this is Two Broads Talking Politics. I am on today with Tatenda Musa Patiki, who is the CEO and founder of the Voter Formation Project, which is brand new. Hi, Tatenda. Hi, how are you? I am great. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to hear about the Voter Formation Project. Well, thank you so much for having me. First, before we jump into that, you also have a, a newsletter about entertainment news. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah, so I started writing this internally while I was at Acronym um, because I I think a lot of people who do politics and work in politics don't pay attention to pop culture at all. Mm-hmm. And I would want to talk about things like the housewives or, you know, what happened on Netflix or what have you, and no one knew what I was talking about. So I just started sending everyone bullet points of what they need to know that happened the last week, and it took off. Um, and so it's been a it's been a consuming day for me over here <laughs> between the political news and the pop culture news. <laughs> I love it. I think it's important for uh, political people who are deep into politics to have outside interests. So <laughs> I I love talking housewives. <laughs> So you mentioned uh, that you were at Acronym. Uh, Tell me a little bit about then about your backgrounds. You were at Facebook and then you were at Acronym and now you're starting this new project uh, and sort of how how that background led you to uh, this project you're doing. Sure. I have been in the digital political communication space for over a decade. I, um, interestingly enough, figured out that I wanted to do this from an internship at the Chamber of Commerce that really confirmed for me that I am a liberal thinker. (laughs) Um, And I was just fascinated with the idea that you can use the internet to educate people about what's happening in their communities, what's happening with their government, um, what's happening with business, and knew that I wanted to basically do that. And so I've, I've had a number of jobs ranging from, you know, working at a political tech company and getting experience in sales to working at consultancies and developing social media plans, writing advertising plans, and had been at an advertising firm when Facebook reached out uh, to ask me if I wanted to apply to a job, um, which I never thought was a possibility for me. I think it's interesting looking back kind of the barriers that we can put on ourselves about what we think is possible. Mm -hmm. And so while at Facebook, I was the democratic um, client solutions manager, which essentially is a role that was on their no longer um, existing politics sales team. And our goal was to work with campaigns to help them achieve their goals on the platform, particularly through advertising. So I worked with every democratic organization (laughs) or agency that serves them, or, um, even some of the, the big committees and knew even from that work that I just loved working with, um, what we call the IAE side, the independent expenditures, the progressive organizations, Mm. um, to help them with their Facebook strategies. But in doing that work, 
I would always see voter registration campaigns look identical, (laughs) essentially identical across, you know, all of these different organizations. It was the same essential formula with each organization or group putting a little tweak or their tweak on it. Right. And I, I, fundamentally could not understand why campaigns were being run in such a specific way that did not inherently make sense to me. Like, why are we only talking to people right before an election? Why don't we do any work to convince people to participate in the first place? Like, if if brands are going to be spending so much money in order to convince people that the thing that they want them to buy, their brand is good, and it's profitable for them at the end of the day... How have we not applied this basic marketing concept of getting people to like the thing you want them to do to actual advertisements about voting? Mm-hmm. There are plenty of reasons why it is it is that way, but I could not understand or find anyone who really was willing to to try and run a longer campaign that convinced people about voting first before asking them to vote. And so by the time I was leaving Facebook, um, I had had a conversation with Tara who runs uh, acronym to say, you know, these are the kinds of campaigns I'd love to run. Uh, do you have anything? <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, yeah, come on board, run this program and, and let me take these ideas. And I just ran with them. Um, and we built a long-term campaign that, you know, we started running ads, asking people or telling people about voting in June, which was essentially not common. You know, folks were saying that's way too long of a campaign, but we wanted to run a different strategy to prove that the way that people think is best to run these campaigns just isn't. We need to be talking to people over a longer period of time. We need to be thinking about what messages work and for who. And we need to be thinking about reflecting our audiences and being experimental with the ads that we use so that maybe they don't feel like political ads and maybe that could be the most effective thing. I just I, I just felt like there was a formula that wasn't thoroughly tested enough to know that it works for everybody. It's not possible that one tactic works for everybody. And so that is what we set out to do. Um, and in doing this program at Acronym, at the end of the cycle, I realized like this needed a bigger home. There was so much more work that I was in a, a position to do in terms of pushing the envelope on how we do voter registration ads, in terms of thinking how we can democratize some of the technology so that small groups that often have these great ideas, but maybe don't have the the expertise or the funding to execute them for digital could have some resources and being able to help educate, you know, people running big orgs who don't have digital experience about what they could be doing or how to support their own organization in doing digital work. I'm really interested by this idea of experimentation and figuring out what works and testing what works. Can you talk a little bit about about that, I feel like that is a piece that is is missing. As you said, you know, a lot of political campaigns sort of look the same. And if you're gonna do it differently, how do you know if it's working? How do you test that? How do you know if it's working? You know, how do you know if you need to keep refining and keep changing? It's a long process, and we had to mishmash together a bunch of different testing protocols and theories in order to get to the program we ran. So. Overall, the one thing we did do is we had a holdout, meaning we stopped a certain subset of people from receiving any of our ads. That way we could run a randomized control trial on um, the advertising program. So we'll be coming out with the results of that a bit later in the spring. 
but that's one you know clear way to say this worked or it didn't. I think a lot of the existing research on um, what may work for voter registration or mobilization ads had said one, it, it, it doesn't work <laughs> for registration, or there's you know a series of best practices, if you will, from campaigns that have worked. And but it's also hard to do. The other thing that we were able to do is we used form completions, meaning people would come to our website from our ads and then um, fill out a form and then they would get directed to the Secretary of State website or they would finish making a plan to vote on the website. And we used people taking those actions as a proxy for success. So we tracked, you know, which ads got people to complete the forms and which messages got people to complete the forms and then, you know, kept narrowing down and, and figuring out, okay, you know, this informational message got people to fill out the form more than the social pressure message. And so that's how we drilled down in terms of figuring out what was working in the moment, because you can't run a quick randomized control trial, right? Like you need something that's a little bit more timely. And so we were um, rigorously measuring how people were completing actions as a way for us to narrow down what was working. So the voter formation project then is going to be specifically targeting certain states to, as you say on the website, reach, register, and mobilize voters of color in these states. So how did you determine which states to do this in? And is the strategy going to be the same across the board? Or do you think that it is likely that different types of campaigns work differently in different states? So we're constantly thinking about the map. We know that at least for this year, we're going to be in Texas and Virginia. And then we're definitely going to expand the map in 2022 as there will be many more elections. And the answer is no, This the, the campaigns are actually pretty specialized by state because all of the states have so many different rules that are constantly changing yeah. um, about how you can register and vote. Um, and, you know, the horrific trend that we're seeing right now with these voter suppression laws means that the work that we do just has to be even more important. We are hoping over here that the federal government that we have installed does something to uh, prevent states from suppressing the hell out of all of their voters. But regardless, we still know that, you know, voting is not going to look the same in every state. Registration is not going to look the same in every state. And it is very, very different. And, you know, even with the pandemic, it just magnified how much individual state laws can change. Um, court cases can change things. And so it, it's impossible to run a, a campaign that looks identical across states. It's It's you will end up mis misinforming voters if that's what you do. So I, I think it's it's interesting to think about this having a long conversation piece, because so often when we think about expanding the electorate or voter registration specifically, it is not just a close to the election thing, but a, a short time, right? Like, okay, you're signed up to vote. <laughs> Great, go vote someday. How, how do you do that work over a long conversation? What does that look like in engaging with this new expanded electorate? It, it looks like a few things. Um, I think primarily from a, a messaging standpoint, it is continuing to let people know that their vote does matter. Um, voting has consequences and impacts. And I think, you know, the most clear example right now we're seeing is that the Senate election in Georgia was determinative of whether or not most families in America would get a $1,400 check. 
And, you know, and even then more than that, if you consider, you know, all of the, the childcare benefits, um, looped in and the healthcare benefits. So that is one piece that I think is, is critical, like continuing to let people know that voting can change communities. There is a purpose in voting. Your vote does matter. There are state and local elections that, that have ended in a tie in Virginia and were won by a coin toss. So every one vote does actually matter. And I think another piece of it, though, is also keeping in touch and, and working well with community organizers who are in communities year round, who, you know, know the people who they are organizing and the communities that they're in and figuring out how are they speaking to their, to the people that they speak to every day? What are the messages that resonate there? Um, that way we know and have, you know, qualitative sense of what works and and what doesn't. I saw something uh, that, that you said that is about how this particular population that you are trying to reach, so underserved, underrepresented communities, is actually over-indexed in the time that they spend online. Do we know where they are spending that time online? Uh, obviously, this is not a monolithic population, but you know, are there are there some uh, some things that you have learned about? Uh, you know, what, what are the spaces in which you reach these kinds of populations that you are trying to reach? Yeah, this is, a, I love this question. It, it allows me to nerd out a bit on media. <laughs> <laughs> I love nerding out. <laughs> yes. So it's, it's important to remember that different, different ages will consume media very differently. And so one thing that we know is, you know, older folk tend to spend more time on Facebook and Instagram, younger folks spend, you know, more time across TikTok and Snapchat and Instagram. And the way that the different demographics use all of those platforms is different. So for instance, you know, people fresh out of college or people in college now, they are on Facebook, but they use it as a utility. It's like a phone book. It is not where they are sharing information about their lives or posting pictures. Whereas, you know, folks like my mom, <laughs> this is how they share their lives. This is where they post their pictures. She worries if she doesn't see me posting things as much anymore. And it's like, are you okay? And so that is how, you know, different people consume is something that you need to take into account. What is interesting across the board is that these communities are spending a lot of time with mobile video. So even if, you know, people are engaging on different platforms. They are, there has been an incredible growth in people consuming online video content, no matter where they are. And you can see that with how each of the new platforms that come up tend to be video-based. It's interesting that Clubhouse, which is, you know, the new cool kid on the block in terms of um, social networking apps is audio only because we've seen just a proliferation of video content makers and video content from most of the pre-existing digital channels or social media channels. So our thought has been, we need to create all different kinds of digital content because you don't know necessarily, you know, where someone might resonate. Someone in your audience may prefer statics in their feeds, some do video, but we knew it was important to make sure that we are incorporating video across all of our platforms because that is one type of content that is universally being consumed more. 
Is there anything that we think doesn't work? Is doesn't work just is like the old way of doing things looks like the the old kind of political ad? Or, you know, are there uh, experimentations that you have tried that uh, that have not worked? So here's one that there's a conventional wisdom that social pressure, meaning ads that kind of make you feel like everyone around you is doing a thing. So you have to do it, too is really successful for mobilizing voters, but it's not for registering our communities of voters. Mm-hmm. We saw that our social pressure content, whether it be the scary kind that's like, your neighbors are going to know if you didn't vote, <laughs> or even if it's the light social pressure. We did one ad based on my actual life where we had someone swiping through a dating app and someone said they weren't registered and they were like, no, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want that. <laughs> and so that kind of content just didn't work for registration. And it, like the dating app ad was my favorite, one of my favorites. And it just didn't work. And I was so sad. But that's what makes you a good digital strategist. You you toss what doesn't work, even if you love it. So yeah, that I think that's a surprising one that, you know, definitely goes against what many people think absolutely works for types of voting or voting behavior. Yeah. What uh, what sorts of calls to action do you have for our listeners? What How can they be helping out uh, what you are doing? What would you like them to be doing or thinking about? Well, first, you can follow us um, on Twitter or Instagram. We are at Voter Formation on Twitter and at Voter Formation Project on Instagram. You can visit our website to learn more. I think the most important thing that your listeners could do is to learn about what is happening at the state level in their legislatures mm-hmm. and and do some advocacy against any kind of voter suppression bills. There are many, many voter suppression bills up across a number of states. Georgia's is just probably one of the more heinous examples since, you know, it actually asks you to deny people water. But that would be my biggest ask, like do some kind of advocacy in your local government for increased voting expansion and access to the ballot box. Excellent. And we will also on our website, put the links to your social media so people can find those easily and follow. And I hope they do. Is there anything else that you'd like to make sure that we talk about today? You know, I'm really tempted to say the Real Housewives of Salt <laughs> but I'll spare you. <laughs> No, I'm just really thankful that you had us on to talk about, you know, our digital ads program and our organization. We're really excited to get hit the ground running. Yeah, I think this is is great. It's so exciting. And uh, I look forward to to seeing the new uh, new ways that you can engage with people. I'm hoping that in Georgia, there's lots of like water bottle ads somehow. <laughs> I know. I can't get over it. You know, when Lindsey Graham is like, this just seems bad. It's bad. Like even he couldn't, he's like, it doesn't seem necessary. So yes, indeed. Everybody should go follow the Voter Formation Project on all your favorite social media places. And uh, we will all go drive some water and snacks to Georgia if things don't turn around. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for joining me today. And uh, I look forward to following and seeing what happens. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Two Broads Talking Politics, part of the Dimcast Podcast Network.
Our theme song is called Are You Listening off of the album Elephant Shaped Trees by the band Immunuri, and we're using it with permission of the band. Our logo and other original artwork is by Matthew Wefflin and was created for use by this podcast. You can contact us at twobroadstalkingpolitics at gmail.com or on Twitter or Facebook at Two Broads Talk. You can find all of our episodes at twobroadstalkingpolitics.com or anywhere podcasts are found.